All right, Romans chapter 14. Let's get into the Word of God, starting in verse 13. Romans 14, starting in verse 13. Start turning. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. Okay, don't, don't be shy. We do this every week. Get your Bibles. I want you guys to go ahead and follow along. Okay, if you don't own a Bible, you do now. Okay, so take this one and keep it. So keep your hands raised and they'll bring them over to you. Okay, Romans chapter 14. Now, here's the deal. This week's text builds directly off of last week's text. And this often happens in Scripture when we get that, but these are very interconnected. Actually, last week, this week, and next week, kind of like a three-week kind of mini-series here, all talking about the same issue but different angles of it. And so last week what we introduced is that there are things, there are these debatable matters within our life and our world today that it makes no sense for us to fight about the way that we do. Right, that there's things that the Bible calls debatable matters, things that we bicker and we quarrel, as it speaks of, that we should not quarrel and bicker about because we, we, we proclaim a greater gospel, a greater story of unity and peace amongst one another. Okay? These things are not sin. They're just things that could potentially lead to sin. Okay? Potentially, and we'll get into that more today. That's kind of one of the parts. So here's what we're going to do between this week and next week is Paul is going to say, building off of last week's call to not quarrel and to pursue discipleship. Remember that, right? Don't quarrel, don't fight, don't bicker. Pursue discipleship, pursue Jesus, look more like him, be sanctified. Okay, those two things. He's going to say, this week, these are the things you don't do. Okay, don't do these things so that the body of Christ, united, can look more like Jesus. Don't do these things, and then next week it'll be, do these things. Okay? Don't do these things this week. Do these things next week. Okay? So that's, that's, that's the plan. Now, um, here's the things we're not supposed to do today, and I'm just going to kind of give it to you on the front end. It's we're not supposed to cause our brother or sister to sin. Okay? We're not supposed to lead our brother and sister in Christ, the people in this church, the people in your life that love Christ. You're not supposed to lead them or do something that would point them to a direction or a path or a sin in general that will lead them to a place that is farther from God than where they are right now. That's the goal. Okay? That's what we aim for. Don't be that person. Don't do something. Don't commit an act. Don't put temptation before your friend, family member, whatever it is that loves Jesus because it could cause them to sin. Now, this is a problem for us and we immediately have pushback because a few reasons. A few reasons. Because we're not talking about sin here. So this isn't the Bible saying, that's wrong, don't do it. I'm telling you, there are things in your life that today God's going to tell you not to do anymore, not because it's sin, but because it's causing someone else pain. This is somewhat hard for us, and I think for a few different reasons. The, the first reason is because Paul, in the book of Romans, God, who authors this whole thing, did a pretty good job of explaining grace and freedom to us. Saying, listen, okay, there was this Old Testament law that the Jews just said, okay, you're going to have to live this thing out. It was proven that they could not do it. We come into the New Testament era, this new covenant, and Jesus says, you are free from the bounds of the law. I have fulfilled it perfectly, just have faith in me, and there is grace, there is mercy, and you can walk in the realities that you're no longer tied to this checklist of do's and don'ts. Now, that is a fantastic thing. And Paul has done a great job at hopefully setting us free from these cultural ideals that you need to prove yourself to God or that you need to prove yourself to me or to the people around you in your life that you are good enough because that just doesn't exist in the gospel. It's not part of the story. 
So that's the first reason. The second reason I think this might be hard for us to swallow is because the world has also done a really good job at convincing us that our actions are independent of the people around us. So you can just do whatever you want as long as it doesn't, quote-unquote, affect the people around you. So listen, be tolerant. Tolerance unto, listen, just as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. The only... The biggest problem with that is that we're missing how interconnected we are with each other and how the things that we think won't affect the person next to us, they just will. That's just the Bible talks about all... We are so interconnected as people that our actions have implications for the people around us, okay? And it's, it's inevitable. There's nothing you can do about it. And yet we rebel against this idea. We want to believe we're completely independent. This is not new. This goes all... Listen, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. Cain kills his brother Abel, and God comes down and says, Where is Abel? And Cain says to him, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Is, is it my responsibility to know and to care for him? And we'll get to that answer in just a bit, but I think that's probably the second, the second most important reason. The third way is because we really, really, really enjoy our freedom and we really enjoy our independence. Okay. We love to languish and sit in the realities of the gospel. We are set free. That's good. Do that. We love to sit in the fact that, no, we can be independent, we're individualistic, I can accomplish this on my own, I don't need people around me to help, on and on. These have become cultural idols for us. Okay? These have become things that, okay, we have to identify, this, this is who I am, this is what I want, this is how I want to be identified by. Individualism. Um, some of you might be sitting here and saying, well, that's not all that true for me. Okay? And, and I'd say this, if it, think about the things you won't tell the person next to you. Whatever that may be. Like, what, what, maybe, maybe you came with your spouse, right? And so maybe you'd tell them, hopefully you'd tell them, but I guarantee you there's things, there's things right now you probably wouldn't tell your spouse that you should. If it's a stranger, uh, here we go, I dare you. It, it, tell the person next to you that you don't know what your salary is. Okay, for your college student, you're like, well, it's zero. <laughs> you're just like, well, nothing. So that was easy. See, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is there are things in our life that for whatever reason, if we look to it, we say, okay, this is for me to know. This is private. This is only for me. I don't, no one else should know, needs to know. And, and I think all that does is speak to our fear of being known. It speaks to our craving of this independence that the Bible never really grants to you. So here, here's my great fear, and this is what I hope we learn today, and I've had to learn myself. Here's my great fear is that we've just spent 13 and a half chapters talking about grace and gospel and a savior of the world who came to tell you, listen, it's no longer this checklist. You can't be good enough. Just believe. Find faith in Christ. We're going to spend some more time on that great news at the end. But listen, we've spent so much time, Paul spent so much time breaking down the idolatry that is work, works-based righteousness that I feel that as a pendulum swings, we've gone too far the other direction. And we've, we've just kind of become a people who take our freedom, who take our independence, who take the grace of God, and we abuse it. We think, okay, you know what? God's going to forgive me. I, I, don't, I don't need to think about my brother or sister because, you know what? No, there's grace. 
There's mercy, there's independence, there's freedom from that. I don't need to think about that. That's my fear, and I see it all the time. And we're going to get into some more examples of what that looks like this morning. But, man, I tell you, that's one of my biggest fears for our church, especially because at this point our church is still pretty young. And that's, I mean, that, that's not just a young issue. It's, it's all across the board. Everyone struggles with this. But it, it's a little more prevalent in the youth. I can just do whatever I want because there's grace and if it affects the people around me, I'm not going to think about it too much. That's not okay and that's sin. Okay? That's not okay and that's sin. And, and we need to repent and we need to move from that if we want to have the witness that we're supposed to have to the world. Okay? That said, verse 13, let's get started. It says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So it says, okay, this is an active thing for you. There's no passive option. So last week, because, listen, don't quarrel, don't fight, don't bicker, don't tell someone that's on a debatable matter, an opinion-based doctrine, that they're wrong. Don't get into that, don't get into that debate. And so I think what we, our proclivity, what we would normally do, is say, okay, well, if I'm, not gonna, if, I'm not gonna, if I'm not supposed to go and approach them and call them out and tell them they're wrong, I'll just be quiet and let it be. Right? I mean, I'll just kind of sit over here and, and I won't talk about it, I won't think about it, I won't engage with it. I'll just be apathetic and I'll just be over here doing my thing. Passiveness is not an option for us. Engagement is the mandate for us. But we do it in a certain way. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, listen, therefore, don't pass judgment, okay? But rather decide, make an effort to never put a stumbling block in front of the people around you. Don't do that. Don't cause someone else to sin. I thought about, and, and it's, it's weird that I go back to these stories from like fifth grade, but I had another one. And it often involves my fifth grade girlfriend, which is weird and Verity, I love you, okay? But I remember back this week, because in fifth grade, I started dating this gal, and I know you're like, well, it's fifth grade, so really, and no, not really, but at that time. And so here's what I did. I said, okay, I want, I want this gal to think that, um, that she's really special, and that I'm the man, and so I want to get her some jewelry, okay? Right? I'm operating off a budget of about $5 a week at that point, okay? Uh, so I didn't exactly have the funds to go and buy something. So what do I do? What anyone would do? Sneak into my parents' bedroom and steal some of my mom's jewelry, okay? Wrap it up in a little box, show up, hand her the box. She opens it, begins to cry, we embrace, I'm the man, okay? Here's what happens. She wants more. Fifth grade, little punk. I go get another piece of jewelry, okay? Stole three pieces of jewelry from my mom, okay? She knows it, I've repented, okay? Um, here's what happens. Some of my buddies, who are also trying to woo some women in fifth grade, okay? They begin to steal jewelry from their parents. All of a sudden, we have this epidemic, okay? where there's just, I mean, you got people walking around with jackets full of gold, okay? I mean, it's just getting weird in fifth grade. Okay, Little Oak Elementary is getting strange. And here's, see, it's just the natural part of man. We see sin. We see something. It, it tickles. tickles our fancy, right? We begin to hear things. We, we, we idolize things. And so guess what? We just start to emulate the stuff around, around us. You emulate the things around you because you think that those things are going to give you a greater sense of happiness, joy, contentment, whatever the thing is. And so you emulate the things around you to get to where you want to get. 
And oftentimes, because the world is so filled with it, we are completely bought into sin in order to get to where we want to get. And so we have to understand the interconnectedness of the people in this room, that when you do something and you think it's independent, you think you're just at home, no one's going to know, no one's going to see, no one's going to hear. No. It's not the way this works. The Bible tells us you are, especially in the body of Christ, you are one body, united. That as one part suffers, the whole body suffers. As one one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices. Okay? And because of this truth, your actions are no longer independent of the people around you. Because people will see, people will emulate, and people will sin. Okay? It's just a cycle that always, always happens. Verse 14, let's keep going. I know, and this is Paul, he's going to give a personal example of what's happening in Rome at the time. I know I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Okay, so here Paul reiterates the same example that he brought up to us last week. At the time, Okay? There were still many of the Jews who were taking the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament law and applying it to today or in the story. They're saying, okay, no, 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 God says don't eat these foods. These foods are unclean. Namely, they were vegetarians. Okay? And we, it was funny, Mitchell came up to me afterwards. like, I thought you were going to slam vegetarians way more. I said, so did I. Um, but he's saying, listen... These are unclean. These are, not unclean, these are not unclean meats, you can eat this, you can't eat this. And so there were still some Jews here in Rome at the church who were adhering to these dietary restrictions even though, even though the New Testament covenant, Christ himself has set us free from those restrictions. Okay, that, that's the debate. That's what Paul's example is going on. So here's what he's saying. Paul's like, listen, I've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I know that now we've been set free. We can eat whatever we want to eat. But I've got some buddies that think differently. I've got some friends that think differently. They think, no, I, I, I think we need to stick to that. I think we need to stick to these restrictions because I still think that they have relevance for us today. So he's saying, listen, just because there's this difference between the two of you, because there's this thing where you think it's one way and the other person thinks it's the other, listen, this is a debatable matter. Do not quarrel, do not fight, is everything he said about yesterday. He says, listen, this does us no good at all. All you're doing, he says, is hindering the work and beauty of the gospel that when you begin to judge your brother and sister in Christ on a difference of opinion about something that is not sin, you're hindering the beauty of the gospel. That is, an, that is a tremendous indictment from Paul. Like this great story that's supposed to reach the ends of the earth and change hearts, renew lives, that whole thing. You're hindering the beauty of the gospel when you look to your brother or sister and judge them based on something that is not sin. And we, we, last week we talked about politics, we talked about parenting, we talked about our presence, right, our engagement with the world. And I, I mean, there's just, even this week, I just saw more and more debate and I saw more and more arrows being shot from Christian to Christian over these issues. And all that happens is that the world sees a gospel that's not all that good. And that's on us. Okay. So let's look at a few more issues today that I think 
And we were saving this one because this seems to be the most kind of hot-button issue oftentimes within the church. In fact, I, so, and I think it's, it's alcohol. Okay. Can you consume alcohol? And, and that, listen, there are people on very wide spectrums of this, this issue. Can you have a drink? Okay. In fact, there was a, a lady this week from our church who was meeting with another lady she asked her, what church do you go to? She said, oh, I'm going to a redemption church. She says, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're going there. Did you know that the pastor drinks beer? And she said, yeah. So do I. Okay. The Bible, listen, and this is not, I don't want to make this a sermon about alcohol, okay? But the Bible's clear to me. Yeah, you can have a drink. Okay, it's, it's all of us. We're not even going to get into all the scriptures and stuff about you can have a drink. You can't be drunk. Those are your boundaries. Okay? You can drink. Don't be drunk. You still get involved in drunkenness? No, that's sin. That's when, okay, you see a brother or sister that is walking around drunk, they're in sin, you judge and rebuke them because you care more for their soul and the fact that God says, no, don't be consumed with drunkenness. Okay, so don't get drunk. Okay, that's, that's there for you. But then the debate doesn't really become that. Listen, that's sin. But the debatable matter is, can you even have one? Now, here's the issue. In all the freedom that we have, I believe, and I think the scripture speaks to for us to be able to enjoy a good beer, okay? We're not talking Coors Light. We're talking like a nice, tasty IPA, 90 IBU or more, okay? Some of you are like, I don't know this. Okay, that debate, that debate is happening all over the place. And people bicker and they fight and just like that lady looks at me and then judges who I am. I wouldn't dare listen to what he has to say about Jesus because of this issue. And so it's pretty hot button. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty hot button. Here's, here's my problem with it. Here's my problem with how I think we can easily take a situation like alcohol and abuse it. The drunkenness is obvious. But let me tell you a story. In college, when I turned 21... Uh, we went and had some, had some drinks with some friends, okay? Um, that's, this is pretty much Andrew's story today. Happy birthday, 21 Andrew. Way to go. Um, Andrew, don't do what I'm about to tell, okay? Okay, very applicational for you. This is fantastic. Applicable. I don't think applicational is a word. Okay. We went out to raw sushi in downtown San Diego, okay? And uh, sushi's decent. Um, but we went out and we had a few drinks, Across the table, sitting from me, and a few of my friends who are also 21, was, was a good friend of mine named Lucy. Lucy was 20 years old and had struggled with alcoholism in her past. And here we were at my celebration for my 21st birthday, and we're having some drinks, okay? Enjoying ourselves, eating sushi, doing this thing. What we didn't realize in the midst of all of our fun, in the midst of all our commotion, is Lucy is sneaking drinks the same time. That she's grabbing stuff we're not finishing. No one's paying attention because we're all kind of doing our thing. Next thing you know, she is just absolutely hammered and begins to act in ways that she used to act. And the next thing we know, this becomes a pattern in her life once again because she got a taste for it and that's the way sin works. Get a little taste of that sin and you know what I mean? Once it touches the lips, it's there. And so we, we crave more. And so here we were, a month after my birthday party, 
and a good friend of ours who loved Jesus was caught into a cycle of alcoholism once again. And it was because of that night. Now, did she make a choice? Absolutely. But in that night, drinking for me was a sin. Because I caused my sister in Christ, whom I knew her story, to stumble and to re-engage with a lifestyle that was contrary to what Christ wanted for her life. That was sin for me. I hear lots of stories of that stuff happening today. But we just think we can go out, we can do this, we take the liberties, we take the freedoms. We don't even stop to think for a moment, who's watching? Who's around us? What do we know about their lives and how will this affect them? We're too busy with our own freedom and our own joy that we forget that we are our brother's keeper. We are to care for the people around us. Second example I see very frequently is, is in dress, okay? And the way we dress. And I'm not just going to make this a, a female bash thing. I mean, it's on the dude side too, okay? You think through what you wear and how you dress and how you present yourself. Now, here's the deal. We got, and I tell you, this is the second Halloween reference in two weeks, which is interesting, but we got Halloween coming up. And for whatever reason, male and female, even though even in Flagstaff, it's like 30 degrees outside, we find a way to wear nothing. Okay? And so you go to downtown Flagstaff, you've you seen the line that's just lined up outside Maloney's, okay? And there's, there's like a sexy Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Okay? Like, I don't even know how they do that. Right? It's like, you know, sexy Power Ranger. Like, what are you doing? Like, you can't fight crime in that. You know what I mean? Ridiculous. You see all these things. No, but here's the deal, right? You see all these things. You see all these things, and, and this is not, I'm not, okay, this isn't even about, hey, you're causing the man or woman to stumble because stumble they're looking upon you lustfully because that's not what the text is saying. The text is talking about, okay, judging someone or seeing something that's going to affect your own sin in that area. So here's the deal. Here's what I know is that I spend a lot of time meeting with young women predominantly, but some young men as well, who struggle with body image in ways you would not understand. And so when you, when, uh, when we parade around in these outfits and these garbs and in these ways that present a cultural ideal which is already impossible, you're causing other people to look at you and to look at the situation and crave these ideals that all they do are lead to sinful things. Okay? Just some stats I looked up from the National Association of Anorexia and Associated Disorders. Okay, so 10% of the U.S. population suffer from some eating disorder. 16% of women suffer from an eating disorder. Almost one in five women in this room right now are struggling with some type of eating disorder. That is crazy to me. I'm not saying this is the... Listen, it's not just the way that we dress that's causing this. I mean, obviously, our culture has presented this ideal and photoshopped an ideal that's impossible, and so that creates that gap for us. But we reinforce it when we don't think about how we dress. So when, you know, when you go out and you begin to think about what you wear, you've got to start thinking about the people around you. How is this causing them to view themselves in a way different than what God views them. And I'll tell you what, you might just be thinking, oh, that didn't happen. Listen, I, I'm meeting with people on a consistent basis that this is a reality, okay? This is the stat just made me really sad, especially because being a father now, okay, 
of first to third graders. Okay, first to third graders, when surveyed, were asked that they felt that they had to be characterized. Two of the most important characters were skinny and hot. Okay, first and third grade. When we present ourselves in a way that makes that the ideal and it lines up with culture, we reinforce something that is detrimental to the people around us. Okay, so alcohol, dress, we could go into about 15 more examples I even thought of today. Here's the idea, okay? Think, pray, be mindful of the people around you because you are your brother's keeper. When Cain asked that question of God, I mean, am, I, am I my brother's keeper? Should I know? God's like, yes, you should know. He's your brother. So if you're sitting here today, should you care about the person to the left of you, to the right of you, that maybe you haven't even met? Let's be honest. Okay? Yes, you're supposed to care about their spiritual well-being. Yes, you're supposed to care about their sin. Yes, you're supposed to care about their relationship with God. And if you're doing anything that would hinder that, you're in sin. Okay? And that's hard for us to get because we're really about our individualistic things. So, I mean, I am very much about my freedoms. I, I enjoy things of this world that the Bible allows us to enjoy. Okay? But we can take it too far, and we can hurt the people around us, and that becomes, that must be our primary concern. Is not your freedom, not my freedom, but the relationship with Jesus for the people around us. That is of paramount importance. And so let us stop abusing the grace that God's given us in the midst of that. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So why is this all true? Like why, why, why are these things true for us? Why, why such a hard teaching this morning? Why, why, God try, why, why is it that he's trying to kind of infringe upon my fun, upon my own ability to make... It's because in the kingdom of God, at the central, primary thing that is forming the kingdom of God, it's righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. So in other words, stop bickering, stop fighting about these issues, stop causing a stumbling block before your brothers, but do that because the lens with which you are to view one another, view the church, view your relationship with Christ, is in righteousness, peace, and joy, and not the other things that the world wants you to think through your life through a different paradigm. Okay. Righteousness, peace, and joy. If we begin to see the people next to us through that lens that your desire for every single person in this room would be that they would walk in righteousness, they would walk in peace, and they'd walk in joy. I think we'd act differently. But here's what I think we do. We, 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 we forget about those things and we focus on these smaller, debatable matters and we get our, our, we get our panties in a wad about these little things we just want to fight about and bicker about when God's like, listen, there's something so much more important. Look at the people around you. Stop fighting about the little things. Righteousness, peace, and joy. I'm sorry I said panties in a wad. Okay. <laughs> Righteousness, peace, and joy. 
Do you want that for the people in this room? Do you want them to be shaped by that kingdom? Or do you want to be shaped by a kingdom where you're just debating little rules that it seems that the Bible even says we're free from? Begin to view one another through that lens and I think we'll start understanding more and more how we live out the command to be our brother's keeper, to care about the people next to us instead of only thinking about ourselves, not trending towards self-sacrifice, but trending towards self-preservation. Okay. Think through righteousness, peace, and joy. Okay. Those things. Now, um, what if we really ask the question, or really said, you know, I'm going to go without. I'm going to go without a freedom. I'll go without my preference even for the sake of that person loving Jesus and staying far from sin. Like what would be different? Uh, I spend a lot, I try, and spend a good amount of time with Finley, who's my son, and he's only eight weeks old, so he doesn't know really what's going on. But even so, we're trying to think through what are some patterns of life that form him in ways that we want him to see be formed by by the Bible and not by our culture. And so there's things that we don't do with him, and when I spend time with him, that I intentionally don't do. Okay. When I'm with them, I, I try and not, or I'll turn them around and hide them. I would try and stay off my phone. I never want him to think that this little device in my left hand is that much more important than he is. Now, am I completely free to be on my phone as long as I want? Absolutely. But I don't think it would be healthy for him to have a relationship with his dad in the future where I've set a pattern that this thing is more important than he is. And so I don't do this perfectly. Like I said, usually if I've got to be on it, let's don't look. Okay. put on some goggles or something but I say no I, I don't need that right now television's the same way okay if, 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 I'm, if I'm with him when we're just hanging out no I mean the TV goes off or you know hide him from it if he's sleeping whatever it is no because I don't want him to be formed by culture and by a box and you're setting patterns I'm setting patterns for him now that I know we're going to develop him later how am I completely free to do whatever I want? It's my time. It's my rest. I need this. I need that. No, I'm thinking about this little guy and who he's going to become because I want him to be a follower of Christ who loves his father, who feels loved by his father and is shaped by the things that the Bible calls good. Okay. And there, there are numerous things that I could go through. But that's the way I want you guys to view this. Like you've got kids here when you begin to think through how you shape your sons' and daughters' lives, okay, how, and if you don't have kids, how you were shaped by your parents, when you begin to think through how, how, what, what did my parents do growing up that has shaped me, okay, begin to think about the things that, that you should and shouldn't be doing for the sake of their growth. Think about the things that you wish your parents had done or had not done to shape you. Even though they had freedom to do it, even though you have freedom now, what are, what are ways that we abstain from our freedoms that we would see the growth in one another and the love of Christ that we'd like to see okay let's wrap this thing up verse 20 do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God everything is indeed clean but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble he just repeats this thing here's what I want to remind us of this morning okay and we talk about him every day but Jesus Christ right he has done 
incredible amount of things. And you can go through the Bible and we constantly find these ties to him. But today, I feel like it's extremely strong. When you look at what Christ did, when you look at what Christ did, he came to this world and guess what? He was God. He is God. He is the king. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He could move anything, do anything at any given time. And yet in the midst of it, he sacrifices his freedom. He sacrifices his own power. He sacrifices his own preference. He sacrifices his own self that you would grow and know Jesus. That you would be restored with God. He doesn't think about himself. He sacrifices his own preference, his own thoughts, his own freedoms, his own, no, I can do this because it's just me. He sacrifices that for you and for the world. That we would know God. The church is called to do the same thing. Let go of your freedoms if in so doing you cause a brother or sister to grow in their walk and relationship with God. It's that simple. And when we sing and we get through some of the songs we'll sing, remember that it's that guy, okay, that sacrificed all the stuff that we hold so dear, this independent, all that. He says, no, man, I'm, I'm about you. I'm about God's glory, about my Father. I'm about you. And so I'm going to set those things to the side. And so, man, be grateful. Pray, sing and pray and thanksgiving this morning that we have a God that did this perfectly. Okay. And then for us, application, verse 22 and 23. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So verse 22, this is kind of, this, this is, and remember last week we talked about the strong and the weak brother. We introduced those kind of two parties here. The one that understands, like Paul, like, no, it's okay, you can eat meat, these debatable matters. It's okay, the Bible sets us free, there's freedom. Verse 22 is for you. In other words, if you don't have the conviction that someone else has in the room, okay, don't be a jerk. Don't go to them and call them out. Say they're in sin. Tell them they don't love Jesus. Tell them they need to repent and fix this thing. You can go and talk and you have a discussion, but don't be that person. 23 is for those here in the story who would be the weak brother who still have certain convictions on another end. So people that we might or you might disagree with, listen, stick to your own convictions. So if you're here this morning and you've got convictions about alcohol, right, that, you, that you, can't ta- you can't do this, you can't drink, you're not going to do it, you need to stick to that. It's the Holy Spirit in you saying no. And for you to not do that would be sin for you. Okay? Because at the end of the day, this whole thing is about righteousness, peace, and joy. And I left out that last part, in the Holy Spirit. Okay? In the power, in the conviction, and in the knowledge of the Holy Spirit is how we operate. We're going to sing a song called Come Spirit of God and it's one of my favorite songs we sing and I don't think there could be a more important thing for us as a church, as individuals and corporately, that we pray and we ask and we implore the Holy Spirit to convict us more than he ever has, to transform us more than he ever has and to send us out in powerful ways to be his witnesses more than he ever has. And so as we sing and as we pray, I mean, I, w- I want that 
to seek righteousness, peace, and joy through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're, um, man, I'm just like, sorry. I repent, confess the times where I just am so, uh, just so good with my own self and content in my own freedoms. God, and I have, seem to have this tunnel vision and only think about me and not the others around me who I might be unknowingly leading astray. God, you set us free from legalism. You set us free from just feeling we have to earn it. You set us free from works. And you just said, just believe, just know, just know me. Just believe me, just trust me. And God, we do this morning. I, I pray f- for even greater measures of that faith that just says we know that this is, this is just about Jesus. God, thank you. Thank you, Christ, that you, you set aside the things you set aside. God, as you were on the cross, man, you could have just could have just killed everybody. You could have come down, you could have hung out, you could have done whatever you wanted, and yet you, you, you opened not your mouth. You said nothing. You set aside your own freedom, your own preference, your own thoughts. You agreed in the garden, even though that's not what you wanted. You wanted to, you wanted to move on, you wanted to pass this by, but you submitted to God. Christ, thank you that you gave up your preference that we today could sing songs and celebrate the fact that we've been saved because of it. God, I pray that these realities become even more real for us and we ask the Holy Spirit to do that work. Come aflame in us, come afire in us, convict us, shape us. God, show us that we are our brother's keepers, that we are called to love one another and to seek the best for one another in ways, God, that sometimes aren't our first choice. So blessed to say, may we be that community in reflection of Jesus that glorifies you in everything and becomes united in ways that the world must take notice and say, and I want that. So blessed to say, we sing. In your name we pray. Amen.